Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There's a tremendous high you get from people laughing. You do, you get a high. And I said, wow, this is unbelievable. I'm fucking high as a kite off this. But also, there's a tremendous pain because if you have a piece of material that you're so sure is going to work and it doesn't, it can be very painful. It's like, I don't know how people have relationships with this kind of a roller coaster thing. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So happy that you've tuned in and grateful that you guys have been so supportive for so, so long. And for those of you here for the first time, thank you, thank you, thank you for checking us out and subscribing. And today you will not be disappointed in part two of my interview with the character king of Boston, Steve Sweeney, one of the most legendary, iconic comedians in the world. And before I get started, if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter and Instagram or at BarryKatz.com. And I will answer all my messages. Just be patient with me. And I'd love to hear what you have to say. And when I think about Steve Sweeney, I think about a guy who reached extraordinary success, a man who went from the acting field to stand up and blew past all of the comedians that he was working with to get to the top in probably one of the biggest comedy markets in the world to the point where this guy was selling out 1,200 seats every Friday in Boston and then getting the calls to do Letterman and movies like Something About Mary and Back to School and just huge, huge opportunities and the difficulty of how to navigate between a place where you're a big fish 
and venturing out into the world where you're not a big fish and you're working with big fishes. And it's challenging in any profession to make that jump and to take that risk. And sometimes you don't make it at the right time and you miss your window and you gotta wait for the next window. And sometimes that window doesn't come and then you have to create your own opening. And with Steve, he's an example of what to do in many instances and what not to do in others. And the fact that at this stage of the game, the guy is working on generating, putting together, starring in a movie that he's bringing out all over the country and the world, Sweeney Killing Sweeney, that showcases all of his characters and is an interesting story about good versus evil set in the comedy world. But more importantly, the fact that he's doing it. He's taking risks at this stage after over 30 years in comedy. He's still getting out there. He's still putting his neck on the line. And he's doing so in sobriety, where when I knew him, there was some really, really dark and tough times. But he made that change in his life. He adjusted the patterns that weren't working and he moved forward and has had an amazing journey. And throughout the time, he's forged new relationships, kept old ones. And even though sometimes in my early years, we might have had a few ups and downs, he always treated me like I belonged. And so I take from it that if you in any walk of life can figure out how to navigate and how to create those opportunities and how to build your career wherever you are from the starting point to a point where your peers are looking around saying, where did that guy come from? Why is he getting noticed? And if you can figure out how to create those kind of moments, I can guarantee you, you'll have the kind of career that Steve Sweeney has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now the end. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Who was on your first stand-up show, do you remember? Teddy Bergeron. Of course. One of the greatest Boston comedians ever. Was one of six what? people to do The Tonight Show and go to the couch. Mike Donovan. Mike Donovan, another guy who did Celtics, Johnny Most announcer. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, 
Chance Langton. Chance Langton, guitar comic and also yeah. straight stand-up. Sean Maury. And Sean Maury, who did The Tonight Show several times as well. Yeah. And so this is probably somewhere around 76 to 79. Was it? I have no idea. This is the kind of thing, Barry, you probably know this. It, I mean, the past is just, it doesn't exist. This is the kind of job, you know, you work for Edison or the, you know, whatever the electric company is. You say, well, I've been doing this 20 fucking years. And they, you ask them how many more years, two more years, I'm out of this fucking thing. You know what I mean? But there's no path to this. It's always new. It's always now. So you're hosting a show with people like Sean Morey, yeah. Mike Donovan, Chance Langton, and yeah. you were a guy who was lesser known, lesser than them, weren't really working as much, similarly to the one-person show that you did, because I think this is important. You did your one-person show, you did nothing differently, but one day a review came out, lines around the block. Yeah, that's Nothing right. was different except exposure that was social media that's back then right. was the review yeah, in the globe that's right. so now you're doing the stand-up with these guys right you see that they're all better than you what happened that you remember where you went home one night after a performance and you said there's a shift happening and i'm starting to be the guy now you know I, I remember doing uh, a comedy connection and I remember driving home and there's a tremendous, you know this, because you're very funny yourself, there's a tremendous high you get from people laughing. You do, you get a high. And I said, wow, this is unbelievable. I'm fucking high as a kite off this. But also, there's a tremendous pain because you have a piece of material that you're so sure is going to work and it doesn't it can be very painful it's like i don't know how people have relationships with this kind of a roller coaster thing but i don't think in terms of who's better than who what i the analogy i always use is how are you going to say richard pryor george carlin jonathan winters uh Seinfeld, all these guys, what they do, this is a platform and everybody's got a different style, a different point of view. And, you know, you can be really good at what you do, but it's not, I always think to me, it's not a competition. It's like, you know, different art forms, really. And you create your own world. Now, that's, that's what makes stand up different than acting because you have access to an audience. If you're an actor, you're out of work, what do you do? It's tough, you know? Stand up, you always are able to get that rush. But then I became, I, I, I learned, I always learn, you know? That's the key. There was a painter named Goya, and on his grave, he said, I'm still learning. So from watching people like that are fantastic, like a George Carlin or Jonathan Winters and I got to work with George Carlin. I mean, I always, always was pinching myself, but you're going back to these other guys. And then when I was in New York or wherever, I, I saw exactly the way this works. Like there's two kinds of people that get into it. There's writers and there's performers. Now, 
if you want to see the perfect whole comedian, that would be like Rodney Dangerfield because he has a character and he has great jokes. But the problem when people first start is if they're writers, they tend to recite their material rather than perform it. And performers, like when I was starting, you can kind of sell it. You know, yeah, fucking, you know, broad. But your material might suck. So, you know, it's... It, this is really a... Uh, it's always a process and it's always a work in progress. The part here where I think the audience will love is knowing what happened where you went from $100 to being one of the most successful people in Boston and how did it happen? Can you pinpoint moments yes. of things that happened? Well, if you want to look at the business element of it, we did the Ding Ho, the Tonight Show came in. Uh, they, Stephen Wright was on the Tonight Show the next week and Rollins and Joffe, who are these huge agents, they brought me down to New York. Then I did... Uh, what was the show I just mentioned? Young Comedian Special. Then I got a, a call the next day, and it was like, it was like almost like the law. They're just telling you what you're doing. So I said, you're on Letterman next week. Because they knew no one's going to turn it down, right? Um, so then I did Letterman, and then I started getting more film work, and I, I did Rodney's movie Back to School, and then I did... Um, movie with Carl Malden before that. I did something about Mary, me, myself, and Irene. Um, you know, Peter and Bobby put me in their movies. And then I started to get some real roles, you know. I mean, not that those weren't. Uh, and then I ended up producing my own movie, which is why I'm here. But um, that's on the outside. On the inside, my focus was to be the best. I wanted to have people see me and say, that fucking guy's unbelievable. I wanted, I wanted them, when people go to a, a comedy show, they don't remember jokes. It's all visual. They remember the tall guy, the small guy, the woman with the red dress, you know. But they, I wanted, I, I didn't, you know what, to be really honest with you, I didn't give a shit what they thought. I wanted, this, there's a, there are certain people like your peers, like, uh, Colin Quinn, I'm like in awe of him, or Joe Rogan, or these guys, and they like what I do, and I'm like blown away, you know? That's what I want, is that respect. Was there somebody in Boston when you were coming up right before you hit that you would just love for them to say when, you listen, did a great job, listen, and when, who was it? Listen, I'll tell you what happened. We were at the Comedy Connection, and I had done, I was doing radio, a lot of radio, and, um, George Carlin came in to see me. Wait, he just popped in or he just... He popped into the, the comedy because he wanted to use me on this HBO show. And I did end up doing it and blah, blah, blah. But they thought he was this guy who sold records on TV. He was like, he's like sing, singing songs about the sea and all this shit. I forget the guy's name. They didn't even know who he was because he wore his hat down. But when George Carlin liked my shit, motherfucker, I don't need anything else. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. But he was kind of like, he made you feel very comfortable. He knew how to do that. And what was the first break in Boston where you could see that and the other comedians could see that 
you were a force to be reckoned well, with. Well, when Stephen Wright and myself went to New York and a bunch of us went for an audition for something and Rollins Joffe picked up me and Stephen, I, I knew I was doing something different. You know, I was on the road and then I got in the New York laugh-off out of hundreds of people and I got in the finals of that and I came in fourth and it was it was such a nightmare. You're on stage and now... He's almost lost the whole thing. Came in second last. Steve Sweeney. And then that side you're saying, I can't wait to get the fuck out of here and drink myself to death. Do you remember the other four people who were in the finals? Yeah, Joe Rogan won it. And Don Marrero was in it. And he was... Uh, like, there's another guy who I think... I'm, I'm just a fan. I love, these guys are fantastic. You know... Um, but Eddie Murphy came, and Eddie Murphy told me, he said, yeah, I lost this thing, too. A lot of, yeah, a lot of people lose this shit. I will never forget this one experience, though. Ed McMahon had a show, Star Search. Joe pointed that out to me, Joe Rogan. I forgot the name of the show. And I said, this, this, I said, okay. So I'm auditioning for a show that I don't want, and then they reject me how's that feel it's like going for a job you don't want you're applying for a job you don't want and they and they say no we don't want you that i mean that that was unbelievable but anyway you know there was a lot of a lot of stuff like that and then when you did your show uh last comic standing i i just felt like wow this isn't my world anymore i'm just gonna keep doing what i do and try to get acting work and you know People are getting TV credits and, but you know, that, let me tell you, like, like a guy like Don Gavin, he's, he doesn't have a lot of TV credits and on stage, like nobody wants to follow him. He's fantastic. It's just like in acting, there's some guys out there in the theater world that are like, holy shit, is this guy good? So what does success equal in this country? Fame and money and all that shit. That doesn't necessarily equate to you know, really having that brilliant kind of taking that talent and putting the work in to develop it and nurturing it and don't let it go. Don't let it ride. I mean, that's, you know, that that really can sustain you because the other shit comes and goes. You know what I mean? There's like how many wonderful actors and stuff. They get a year of a sitcom and then the next year, you know, they're on Wilshire Boulevard eating meatloaf at Cantor's and oh, I don't remember me, you know. I think what's fascinating is that in the beginning of your existence in show business, you wrote your own show. Yeah. You bet on yourself when you had nothing. Your friend was doing the door and a reviewer came in and then it took off. And I'm not saying you're making a ton of money, but you weren't struggling as much. And now with the movie Sweeney Killing Sweeney, again, it's a vehicle for you. Granted, probably written primarily by Bill Broadus, but obviously you had to write the story with him and part of the things that then the characters. It's a very personal movie, but it's really not about me. I always said that this isn't me. You know, I'm not that guy waiting for a fucking break. I got a break because I'm alive, I'm sober, you know? But Broadus took my characters and he wrote this movie, which you can get on iTunes, by the way. Did he tell you he was starting to write it or he just showed it yeah, to you after he, he wrote yeah, it? Yeah, 
No, as a matter of fact, what a great thing. I didn't. He never even told me he did it. And then he showed me the script, like 120 pages. I said, holy shit, this guy's good. It's really well written. You'll, you saw it. Yes, and this is Bill is a comedian who you work with. Oh, terrific guy, terrific comedian. And what I did was, what made this such an amazing experience, besides people like Jordan and young people starting, I was able to get these guys that I've admired all these years to do this. Like when, when I got, Crummins, as a matter of fact, was supposed to do it. But when I called up Stephen Wright and he said, yeah, I'll do it, I said, oh. When I called up Jonathan Katz, Nick DiPaolo, Lenny, we were do doing this all in a Panera bread. I, I, I wanted to dance, you know, because I admire these guys so much. They were all on board. So Bill writes the script. Right. You read it. You love it. But there's no money to make it. So how, as an artist who's been doing this over 30 years and you Bill, know, that's, writing, you, you, how did you, you raise the money and you, get it going? You've made movies, haven't you? Yes, I have. That's the hardest part. Getting the money is the hardest freaking part. So we got it from a bunch of restaurants and the way we would shoot. Usually a company, film company, pays a restaurant to use them. We, we got the money from them. He said, we'll put it in the movie. A lot of goodwill. And then out of the blue, this old friend of mine, Kristen Williams, she called and said, how much do you need for the movie? And I said, we need another 50000 So... He said, oh, it'll be in the bank tomorrow. I called up Mike, and I said, he said, you sure you said 50? And I said, hmm, no, I'm not sure I said 50, because it could have been five, right? Anyway, the next day, there was the money for them to make the movie. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was a gift of God. So we make this movie, and then Lisa Mola and Mark Carey and Chris Meyer, who's a friend who I worked with in the... Um, Fairly Brothers movies, he became the executive producer. So I'm watching them do their thing, which is like sound and light and music and all this stuff. And everybody who's seen this movie can't believe they did it for 100000 Just the one last scene where all the kids are chasing me, that's a $100,000 scene in Hollywood between permits and trucks and all that. So what you're saying is from cradle to grave. Cradle to grave. A hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. I would never guess that this movie was a hundred thousand. I mean, I swear to you, it looks like it's at least the million to two million dollars was put into this movie. Well, you know, it's funny. I got people coming tonight and I got one friend of mine. You know how you, how we are? We're very vulnerable. And I got one friend of mine who's uh, the Boston guy. He's the kind of guy who says, well, I want to be fucking honest with you, right? I said, no, no, I don't want you to be honest. I want you to come to the movie. If you don't like it, just fucking leave, you know, whatever. Well, I just, I thought you wanted me to be fucking honest. No, I don't. I just said that. So I just want you to come and enjoy it. You feel very vulnerable because when you're sitting there, if you're doing stand-up and it's not happening, you can sell it. You can go, mad, ah, work with the audience, whatever, you know even tell a joke, but when the movie's out of your hand and you're sitting there. So when we opened it in Boston and the first laugh came, it was just, oh, Barry, I'm telling you. It was like a massage, as Bob Kraft would say. <laughs> it was just a wonderful feeling. Well, I enjoyed watching the movie and I enjoyed oh, watching your characters you. come to life. And I thought you were really, really in your element. You felt like you were 
really prepared? You felt like you were giving it your all? The key to acting is it's not about you. It's not about the person you're working with. It's about the moment, like right now, me and you, right? It's about the moment, don't you agree? It's about the relationship. And you gotta let it, let it all go, and um, it was fun. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. And I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Would you mind telling our audience what happened the day before you ever thought of getting sober? What was the thing that happened where you said, fuck this. Wow, that's a great I'm question. I'm going, 
I'm not going to turn back. What happened from that 24-hour period to when you went to your first meeting? Uh, what happened to me was I what we call bounced. That means you come in and out, that you keep relapsing. And that, that happened for 10 years. I kept, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I, you know, I wouldn't mind being like neurotic. That's more interesting as an, as a, an artist. But finally, um, because when I talk to kids and I work in jails, I work in the field of substance abuse, they feel like there's a one event because in movies there's one event. But we have a, a saying, it's called, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was so freaking exhausted that I just, fuck, let me just stop, you know? So it was more that like total and complete exhaustion and total and complete emptiness and loneliness and just this feeling of like, I am alive physically, but I am dead on the inside. Just like a, uh, my emotional range was like either depressed or angry, you know? So it was more that feeling of giving up. I'll tell you a really beautiful story. Uh, I was at Nick's Comedy Stop and I punched out all the windows. So I was in the emergency room across the street and I was taking the glass out and I was just doing it. I was with Randy Credico, as a matter of fact, and he was doing the same thing. And why you do it, who knows? We thought it'd be fun, whatever. And so I was at Tufts Medical, and in the other building was my aunt, like in the same hospital. And it really hit me. It was like a spiritual experience. This woman, my Aunt Betty, she was totally positive. She had, I remember this coming into my mind so clearly. She was doing things for other people. In other words, she, was, she didn't waste her life. She was dying. She did not waste her life. And then I got this real feeling. You, pr you probably never had it because you've been pretty focused. I've never, I've never had. But I had the feeling that I've wasted my life and I'm wasting my life. You know, that was a moment. You know, because you waste a lot of time doing this shit. It's like, this is kind of a, to get out of this darkness, it's like being a cruise cruise ship comedian, you know, it's like, what are you doing all day? Eating, you know, whatever. So I got that revelation and, and that that did it, that did it. One, One two, Six degrees of separation. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Yes, great. I want you to tell me what I comes to mind. About that. I don't know if yeah. it's going to be one word. It's going to be a sentence, a little story. Okay. We'll go for it. Ben Stiller. What a nice guy. You know, we did something about Mary, and uh, he had the braces on. And my scene in the movie is I come in the, the, uh, the window and... Uh, Lenny and I, I was trying to out-eat Lenny and craft services. We were having fun. Uh, you know, the Fairley Brothers, their sets are always um, always very relaxed. And he was like, uh, he said, oh, these fucking braces. You know, he had to wear the braces in the movie, something about He said, these braces are fucking killing me. You know, I said, yeah, I know. And uh, then he said, I'm going from here to New York. And, uh, and then the guy who says, what is it, the Franks or the Beans? You know that actor? 
He's so he Ben was saying I'm going to New York, then I go to LA, I did Saturday Night Live and so the that guy, whoever his name is, yeah, cry me a motherfucking river, man. What the fuck? And then I saw Ben out here in LA and um we we did some stuff, just coffee and talking about certain things, and he was very nice. Jay Leno. Jay's a great guy. I opened for him at Nick's. I called him. He was answering the phone. He, who does this? He was answering the phone when he was in the shower. I said, that's a weird place to answer the phone. But he's always been very nice, very supportive. He said on The Tonight Show that I was one of his favorites. Um, so, great guy. Sam Kinison. Now, Sam and I... I guess since we've gotten down this road, we did a lot of coke. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. And Sam would go on the comedy store at like one in the morning and he was fucking amazing. He said, you know, I know why people, you're now seeing me like the next day, you know? And um, we were doing a movie together called Back to School and uh, his scene, you know, Okay, Mr. Helper, what would you... And he had that crazy shit going. And But then when we did coke, it was very dark. I remember when we were up at his house. He bought the house from Joni Mitchell. It was a beautiful mansion overlooking Hollywood. And we were all doing coke and everything. And we are in the kitchen. We could have been in frickin' an alley in Somerville. You know, that's how it was. So there was always those two sides, but... I remember being at the comedy store. He was literally sleeping on stage. And I was saying to myself, how does somebody get that free inside to do that? You know? But he was at Nick's comedy stop and he got fired. I said, Sam, this isn't LA. You don't say things to these guys, believe me. Why did he get fired? Because he was <laughs> insulting like the wrong people. But he lived through it. How did he do that? He got fired. They could have beaten them up or something like that. Well, that would have been like uh, the best way out. I went to the Paradise Theater the next time he came to town and he talked on stage about how he got fired from Knicks. Denzel Washington. So I'm doing this scene. He's on the set. It's like 3 a.m., 2 a.m., 1 a.m., something. And this whole, it was filmed in Chelsea, Mass., The Equalizer there was a crowd of all minorities and I realized what he meant to people, you know, to minorities. But he was like, he was focused, he was working, he was playing a killer. So I had one night with him and I said, listen, Denzel, thank you for that movie. I think it was called Flight. He plays a pilot. It's about substance abuse. Yeah, it was incredible. I, I said, I've been sober 24 years, you know, thank you. And he threw his arms around me and then we talked about um, the movie he did about the fighter, Hurricane. and He's like really one of those guys, like a Pacino, that's very serious because he went from that to doing Iceman Cometh, which is a five-freaking-hour play by Eugene O'Neill. He's very spoke. His, his game, you gotta, you got to bring it when you're with him. There's no bullshit. The late Philip Seymour Hoffman. So I did a movie with him called Next Stop Wonderland, and I didn't really know him. But uh, I saw a documentary of his, and I watched his work, and I always found him. Like, he's the kind of actor, 
whenever he was in something, you'd say, oh, yeah, that's the guy. That's not an actor. You know, just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Dennis Leary. Dennis and I were roommates. We'd be uh, commuting back and forth to New York. We were roommates in Cambridge. We were good friends. And I did the first 10 comics come home. And I still have your videotape where you got a standing ovation in yeah, front I got of a like standing ovation 7,000 people. And you know what that got me? That got me a $50,000 deal from the guy who was the producer of Letterman. I got a holding deal from uh, Carsey Warner. But, you know, Dennis is really good audience for people. He laughs. and I, As a matter of fact, I texted him today to see if he could come tonight. Ray Romano. I met Ray doing um, Comics Come Home. What a nice guy. I'm sure you know him. He's fantastic. Yeah. Very unassuming. A funny thing happened because we're all getting older. Uh, Louis C.K. or somebody like that was doing it. And Ray Romano's favorite comedian was somebody else other than the father. You know, oh, yeah, he's my favorite comedian. And of course, they're looking at the kids. What the fuck? What about me? You know, but what a nice guy. Very regular. Robert Downey Jr., so I did back to school with him, and uh, afterwards, can I, I'll just try to put this as diplomatically as I can. It was me and Rodney and the director and Robert and a few other people at Studio 54. That was where the after party was, and um, we were doing some bad things. <laughs> we were doing some bad things. Yeah. That's as far as I want to go. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. You know, you know what's funny, Barry? The world I come from, which is like plumbers and, you know, um, I don't know, siding and just jobs that there's absolutely no conversation about, you know, fucking whatever you do with all this shit. Um, I was in the movie with Jim Carrey, me, myself. Was he crazy? Was he fucking crazy? I said, no, he's not crazy. Anyway, he's very much a perfectionist. We did this one scene, like over and over, and he he took himself. I, I remember seeing him at the comedy store, and I'll tell you, you know those moments a star is born? He did. He got up. He was doing Henry Fonda and all these guys. And he I did said, the on Golden Pond bit, yeah, the clothes. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, you knew. You knew this guy was going to be a star. And then the next thing you know, he did In Living Color and everything. So so I'm doing the movie with him, me, myself, and Irene. He's smoking. And, you know, they all smoke, all these actors. But I said, Jim, you're so flexible. He can put his arm over his fucking head. You know, you know how he is. I said, do you do yoga or something? He said, no, I'm just a spaz. So <laughs> I really liked him. Christopher Plummer. See, now that for me, because I come from the acting world, he's a fantastic And they said to me, whatever you do, don't talk about the sound of music. <laughs> he hated the fucking... He's done 40 years of work and all anyone knows <laughs> is climb every mountain. So I want to like break the ice. Some guys are good when you work with them. They break the ice, then you can relax. So I played a pawnbroker. So I did Rod Steiger, who did a movie called The Pawnbroker. I thought, let me tell you something, kid. You better take this gun because you're going to need it. Johnny Friendly. And so I did Rod, and Christopher knows Rod, and he started telling stories. And 
then we were able to really relax together, and it was it was an honor. I saw him in a one-man show at Barrymore. It was, like, unbelievable. Stephen Wright. Stephen is the greatest. Just to give you one example, in the movie, um, when he said he was going to do it, I said, wow, that's great. But he is so his own man and so in his own world. So I said, we got Steve Wright to do the movie. So Stephen says... Meet me in the parking lot across from Walden Pond. Whatever you want. He said, I'm going to walk out of the woods. I'm going to say this shit. I said, whatever you want, you know? But he's like... So there was no scene written for him. He ended up writing his own stuff, you know? But now there's a guy, Barry. You talk about business. He's probably a worse business person than I am, but he just stuck stuck to doing one thing. He's like an artist, you know? He's always, no one's ever been like Steve Wright. He has a presence on stage. If you go to see Steve and then you see other comedians, which is unusual because usually he's just in concert, when he leaves, you kind of miss him. Kind of like that one dog that's really loyal, but you pay more attention to the beautiful dog. And you know, when they leave, you say, ah, he's gone. Um... He's an incredible writer, great guy, great friend. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney, I met... You know, all these stories that I'm telling you on this show turn into Coke stories, but that's just the way it was. He, uh, I met him in Caesar's Palace. He'd been up for, for all night. He was laid out on a fucking uh, craps table. And then I went up to his room. His appetites were immense. There was a whole table of, of Chinese food, just Rodney's food. You stay away from Rodney's food. He was in the bathtub. and I mean the bathrobe. And he's just... But... And then he was like, Rodney was a good guy, but he wasn't a happy guy. And he, uh, but what I learned from him, because I watched him at Caesars and other places, was joke writing. It was just amazing. He'd write a joke, but then he adds the character. And my favorite joke of his is one that's not that well known. He says, uh, I went to the dentist the other day for yellow teeth. He says, wear a brown tie. I love that joke. <laughs> So we do this scene, 
We shot it at USC but in back to school, but it's supposed to be in the Midwest, this other college. Rodney was so famous that I swear to God, a homeless guy was doing it. It was, he was like off the side, hey Rodney, I don't get any respect either, I'm over here. <laughs> Louis C.K. What a great guy. What a great guy. I mean, he opened for me, and I, I was out of touch with him. Then he flew me out to L.A. for a show he was doing, which I didn't get. Jim Norton got it. And then when we did that Comics Come Home, no, it was, yeah, it was Comics Come Home, my nephew, this is, this is typical, right, in the family, my nephew's favorite comedian was Louis C.K. So I brought my nephew to see him and he brought him backstage and it was all great. And then this thing happened and uh, to me it's just sad, you know? It's just sad. People's careers being destroyed, you know? And I know the other side too, but I don't know the people on the other side. I know Louis. Dane Cook. What a nice guy. I didn't even know him, really. I had worked with him. And uh, we were backstage at uh, um, Boston Strong, which was after the bombing. And he he was really nice. And I said, you know, I, I'll open for you. He said, oh, you I said, no, what do you think? I'm kidding you? <laughs> I'll fucking open for you. What the fuck? There's no ego involved here. Take me out on the road. Barry Katz. You know what? Let me tell you something. A lot of people that you don't, this would never enter your mind. A lot of people are very proud of you. You don't know that, do you? No. No, I don't See, know. See, now I'm interviewing you. You don't know that. Never knew that. Before I was doing this, I was talking to Tony V and he said, Barry's doing great. I said, that's good. You know, I, I don't really follow this stuff. But they said, oh, yeah, Barry's big shot out there. I said, oh, that's good. Tony V, one of the nicest human beings well, in the world. Well, you know what? We were always happy for people's success that were good guys. There are other guys that, to be honest, sometimes you're not happy for them. But uh, you were always a good guy. You know, you were always very respectful, and good things happened for you. So I'm proud of you. Your proudest moment in show business. I'll tell you something that you're not going to believe. Um my mother worked at St. Francis House, which is a homeless shelter in uh, Boston. And I did a benefit for the St. Francis House at the Paradise, which you mentioned. And I was driving up, and I said, wow, look at this. We got a crowd doing this for my mother. Of course, my mother did not see me do Letterman or anything. She says, what, is that Jack Pa? I never stayed up for it. <laughs> I said, no, no. Anyway, she didn't get it. But uh, that was a big moment. And that time I did get a standing ovation at the Orpheum. I was newly sober and everybody else was drinking and doing grass and everything and I was so shaky. And then when it worked that well, that was cool. That was the comics come home, standing ovation at yeah, the Orpheum. that was pretty cool, yeah. It's funny how life works, the karma, you know? If you do certain things for yourself, Things happen outside. It's just, it's weird. How do you handle things when people don't know that you're sober and you walk into a dressing room and you see people doing the things that you used to do? 
I don't have that experience anymore. Guys my age either get sober or they're no longer with us. But, you know, isn't that funny you ask that? Because at the improv the other night, the young guys were doing kind of a Sinatra thing. They Even on stage, they all had little glasses of bourbon. and It was funny, you know? Yeah. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next so level. I was this close to being on Saturday Night Live, the cast. It was back when somebody was doing it. And when I found out I didn't get it, I was like, ah, oh. I felt like depleted, you know? And then I realized I had put too much into it, too much of myself, you know? Like, I gave too much of my personal power to that one thing, you know? Uh, so that was a big disappointment. Um, you know, I think that was about it, you know, because you do these auditions and Jordan knows it, it's, it can be like a constant low grade disappointment, but I haven't felt that way in years. I don't even give a shit. I, I, my, my thing now is I'm doing my own stuff. I'm writing movies, I'm producing them. Whatever happens to them happens to them, but I've just sort of taken control of that, you know? Awesome, last yeah. question. Yes. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a tough area who, for some reason, figures out a way to fall into this crazy business and to go from $100 to get to the point where they have the kind of career that you had? Well, you got to put the work in. It's not like some inspiring thing. you got to put the work in. But, Barry, you know this more than anybody. The only reason I'm here on this show, and Barry told me this back in a business meeting when we were doing a, a project, the only reason he has me on this show is because I was nice to him. Am I right? You were nice to me, yes. So, so the way he phrased it, and this meant a lot to me because we were in a business meeting. Okay. I said, you always treated me like I belonged even when I didn't belong. Well, the last time he said, he said he treated me well when there was no reason to treat me well or whatever. It was something like that. I can't remember the exact words. So here's what I say. Um, build relationships. If you want work, build relationships. Be nice to everybody. Um, but also... Don't watch other comedians. I never watch other comedians. You gotta, you gotta go inside and say, what is my experience? What do I have to say? And focus on yourself. Also, another thing is, don't make this your life. This is what you do, but, you know, I mean, there are people, or there used to be people, I don't know, that used to just hang around comedy clubs. That's what they did, you know? Do this thing and then leave. I mean, I've always done that. Um, you need emotional support, but don't make it your life. It's not who you are. You know, you're okay whether you're good or not. You know what I mean? But, but do put the work in. Build relationships because there's a lot of comedians. One of the things I learned, which is, it's not translatable, but you said, you know, I had these crowds. I learned really early. I said, a lot of funny guys. It's not about being funny. It's about being popular. Like I said to my mother, and that's what kept me going because it's a win-win for a club owner. 
Like I said to my mother, who's come up a lot in this, isn't that funny? I said, Bob Hope, he's still doing it. It's amazing. She said, yeah, he's still not funny to me. I don't know what it is. But he was popular. So you'll find your own formula. But you've got to love it because the trade-offs as you get older are going to be unbelievable. Steve Sweeney, this has been really incredible. Hey, let's plug the goddamn movie. We will. Sweeney Killing Sweeney. You can get it on iTunes. You're going to love it. Steve, this is such an honor. Thank you so much. I'm really humbled that you did this with me. Are you kidding? Don't be silly. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Mark Conforti, March 17th, 2018. It reads, keep them coming, five stars. And the comment reads, Barry does a fantastic job with these interviews. Keep them coming. Love the response to, quote, what's your greatest failure and how did you use that to fuel yourself going to the next level, unquote. Thank you, Barry. Mark, thank you so much. Congratulations. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Bill Hillary. Believe in your ideas and your creativity as much as yourself. Don't just believe in the politics, but actually what you want to do. Be clear about what you want to do. Be clear about how you can achieve that and stick to that. Don't change it depending on who you talk to. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. 
you'll get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going for life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain. It's never quite over. So it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.